Wash the white clothes on Monday and put them on the stone heap. Wash the colored clothes on Tuesday and put them on the clothesline to dry. Don't walk barehead in the hot sun. Cook pumpkin fritters in very hot, sweet oil. Soak your little clothes right after you take them off. When buying cotton to make yourself a nice blouse, be sure it doesn't have any gum in it, because that way it won't hold up well after a wash. Soak saltfish overnight before you cook it. Is it true that you sing Benna in Sunday school? Always eat your food in such a way that it won't turn someone's stomach. On Sundays, try to walk like a lady and not like the slut you are so bent on becoming. In Girl by Jamaica Kincaid, we learn all the things we are supposed to do and not do. Have you got a little time? Have you got a little podcast? This is the short story, the short podcast. I am the mercifully out of practice Christopher J. Garcia here today with the incredibly rusty Christy Baxter, who totally forgot that I even do the lightning recaps. (laughs) Well, you are forgiven because sure. Uh, (laughs) Sure. Yeah. It was a wonderful time off. I got to uh, do all the things I regularly do without having to worry about putting this on. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But you know, I think I had just a brief period of delusional delirium. And I think I read a short story. I don't remember what it was. Do you? I actually do believe it or not, because I'm in your head. (laughs) You read, and coincidentally, so did I, Girl by Jamaica Kincaid. And this is a story that I have loved so long. Uh, It is, I believe, first published in The New Yorker in 1978. Jamaica Kincaid, of course, one of the greatest living authors. Uh, Jamaican, I believe, which is kind of on the nose if you look at her name. Um, But (laughs) this is a story that I daren't say it's a story, but it says so much in a story-like way. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And then also in it saying so much in a story-like way, it is in addition, the probably only story we've read so far that is one single sentence. Yeah, and that is what is so fascinating. It is a single sentence, well, mostly undifferentiated wall of text, uh, the type you might encounter, on a madman's typewriter with his manifesto, except for it is telling an incredible amount about the relationship between a mother and daughter in the Caribbean, in uh, presumably the 50s, 60s, or 70s, at some point there. Uh, And it does so giving one side 92 to 95% of the wording and the other side just two brief I guess reposts yeah I would say uh that's that's an interesting observation I didn't pick up on that the fact that it's it's almost a monologue except for those two little bits where the the young girl speaks up you know, but I don't sing Ben on Sundays at all and never in Sunday school. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Ben correctly. Apologies if I am not. 
I um, believe you but are. Good, good, good. I was going to have that reassurance. Tomorrow I get to speak some Welsh, so that's going to be awesome. But um, <laughs> uh, Simru, a wonderful language of no reality. It's a completely made up thing. <laughs> yes, it 100% is. And yet I'm going to be saying the, the double L's. So. And then it really is, I think, telling that this story, not to jump to the end, but I mean, it's seriously, it's a paragraph. Um, <laughs> we're already there. It's telling that one of those reposts, as you said, the, the second and last one is brings us in response that kicker of an ending. <laughs> yes. And uh, what I also find amazing is in the first one, it is the reference to not singing Bena in, uh, in Sunday school. It, there's a whole three other statements in between the mother saying never sing in Sunday on Sunday or in Sunday school and then her getting a word in edgewise and that is such the relationship between a mother and a daughter or a father and a son or a mother and a son or a father and a daughter or a mother and two daughters and I could go on but <laughs> there is that I'm trying to get a word in edgewise and I can't and then finally I do. <laughs> yeah. And there's that frustration of getting that word in edgewise and having it no longer be relevant. Like you finally got to say what you wanted to say, but it doesn't matter now. You know, it's too late. It's it, we've moved past that. And we're talking about other things that you should and should not do. Like, you know, uh, whether or not to eat fruit on the street. Mm, fruit. fruit. Uh, street <laughs> fruit. Yeah. This is a story. I think the closest we've gotten to anything like this, because uh, definitely as far as technique, I don't really think there's anything that is like this. And I can't think of anything like this in general, honestly. Uh, it's, it's a single complicated sentence, technically a run on probably. Um, but I think one of the things that comes closest is I think Lust by Susan Minot, which presents each sort of scene as that undifferentiated block of text that sometimes goes off into the corners. Here though, it's much more focused, it's much tighter, much, I think, I don't wanna say smarter, but much, much more word-like. Compact? Yes, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's compact. And honestly, you could take every single, you know, with clause, since the whole thing is a sentence. So each individual clause and chop it up and just have it be a single line of a poem. And That's this could true. be a poem. I love poetry. I do too. Uh, I think what I like beauty... reading it to people, but nobody likes when I do that. So I don't. Oh, well, then we're going to do an entire episode of just you reading poetry to everyone out there yay my dream come true <laughs> it'll be a patreon exclusive um, <laughs> i'm putting me behind that paywall <laughs> <laughs> um i think one of the beauties also of writing a story that is being presented as prose that could be poetry is the fact that it allows you to get into the characters' heads. But here, we don't. 
we are specifically only given what is said. And by eschewing the use of the traditional, you know, quotation marks and all of that, you are forced into that stream of consciousness and you have to kind of keep up. And I think that is a very, very powerful technique that we rarely see. Uh, oddly enough, we saw it from William Soroyan uh, and during his piece as well, where the non-differentiated uh, quotes. Mm. Yeah, you know, I feel something like there's some sort of connection to this sort of avant-garde, attention-grabbing, look at this, pay attention, I'm doing this differently from, you know, the standard for a reason, and the, the feminist writing. Like, I feel like there's, and I've, I, you know, I don't know how to say this exactly right, but I feel like there's definitely sort of that idea of women, you know, women writers, especially in the 70s, having to work harder to get people to pay attention and to listen than perhaps a man would. And, you know, as, and so it feels like this is one method, one technique that was used was to just do something completely different. And that way everybody, everybody has no choice, but to look at you and say, oh, wow. Oh, oh. Mm -hmm. Oh, no doubt. Unquestionably. And I think that when you have an author like uh, Jamaica Kincaid, who actually has this huge uh, oeuvre of material that is just phenomenal, I think really what it is here though, is that this is at once a very personal story. It feels very personal, but I think it's also very much a calling out of the further, of the earlier generation because of obviously how her mother sort of views her. And, you know, the statements like uh, this, let your, de- your determined to become or whatever that, you know, that whole thing, I think, is a condemnation of how the earlier generation views the current generation. And I think that is not specific to her. I think it's every generation does that. Yeah, but here it's this, called out very succinctly. If this story were set today in America, it would end with the uh the child saying okay boomer <laughs> uh i do love i do love the ending and i think oh, that beautiful that is just so great um and it does actually sort of give you a sense of both time and place it's a place where bakers still exist mm-hmm. as yeah. you know as a front <laughs> As a front for what? <laughs> well, as I mean, it's not you are you go to a baker to get your bread. You don't go to the supermarket, so the you're not in front of the baker. Oh, I gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah, it it's also there's something about the way that this ends, which I guess we we just kind of assume that if if you're listening to this, you've read the story. If <laughs> you uh, have not read the story and you listen to these episodes like religiously, please come to our social media and explain why. Because I'm just curious. That's uh, no judgment. Just curious. So um, I'm going to go ahead and spoil the ending. But what if the baker won't let me feel the bread? You mean to say that after all, you are really going to be the kind of woman who the, the baker won't let near the bread? And it's also, it's not only this feeling of, you know, like a, 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 it's a kick in the gut ending, 
but it's also this feeling of dismissing the anxieties of this girl. Oh, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, I may have had some of my anxieties dismissed in my life once or twice. (laughs) I don't have anxiety, but (laughs) he said a lot. I think one of the impressive aspects of this is also the immediacy of this, but then stop and think for a second about that immediacy. When would a mother just dump all of this at once? Like there's a why there that I don't quite comprehend, but that also kind of makes sense if there is something pressing. I don't think that it's, in my mind, at least reading it, I didn't feel that it was all at once. I felt like this was a, a, a litany almost of all the you know, advice and directives and insults given over years. Oh, so it's the idea of uh, this is all built up in her and she is injecting her little bits as a sort of mental aside down the road. Exactly, exactly. That's kind of uh, how I see it. And it, I think that makes it really telling that even in her you know, recollection of these, these built up, uh, you know, this, what amounts to a screed, she still can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> <laughs> that, that speaks to how much so, stuff like this can take over your mind. It can be, you know, take up real estate in your mind to the extent that you have a hard time existing there as well. Interesting. Oh, I like that. Well, I don't like it, but I like it. Uh, yeah, I don't like it either, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, got anything else on this one there, Christy? Um, I don't believe I do. Uh, well, okay, yes, one, one thing. Um, I, I got sort of a Groundhog Day feeling from this in just knowing that each of these things that is taught is going to persist for life. You know, some of the things are going to be, you're going to be doing daily or weekly, or some of them are going to follow you and haunt you and maybe make you feel bad for doing things that you shouldn't necessarily feel bad for, you know? And so I, I think that was another aspect of the story that it, it's so much just wraps up uh, sort of almost the banality, uh, but also the, the constant anxiety of life. So that's what I have to say about that. Correct. <laughs> it also had a visceral feeling. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, we said banality, so we have to say visceral too. Very, very true. <laughs> hey, hey, Christy. Hey, hey, Chris. What are we going to read next week? We next week are going to read "Not the End Yet" by Nicole Flattery. Woo-hoo. All right, and until that time, when again we meet, this has and shall forever be short story. Short podcast. <laughs>